mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world, then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing rags to riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires, many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guests, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. Thanks everybody for tuning in to Ditch Digger CEO today. We've got a great guest. Uh, Adam is a spectacular guy that we've, we've investigated. Uh, we've, we've, we really are excited about getting his story and uh, letting him help us educate us on entrepreneurship and startups and technology and all the fun stuff that we're going to talk about with Adam today. Adam, welcome to Ditch Digger CEO. Adam Harris, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Super excited to be here. Tell us about where you, where you were raised and you live out by your family, your parents, and your initial mentors in your life. So uh, went, went, went against the grain when it came to what was the family business uh, growing up in San Diego. You know, most of my uh, family was in medicine, doctors, nurses, uh, training, uh, trainers of doctors and nurses. And that was a space that I see blood and I run for the hill. So, uh, never really, never really had a desire to be, be in the amazing field of medicine and, and appreciate what that, what that world does for us. Uh, and, and the, the marvels of medicine has been quite fun to watch, especially as a recent, but we don't need to get into, we don't need to get into that, but look, you know, I, uh, grew up in San Diego, love sports. A lot of what I bring from a leadership perspective was learned through team sports, individual sports, that sort of grit and tenacity of being an individual contributor. Um, tennis, golf, you get in your head a little bit when you're playing that one-on-one -on -one game. But then soccer, baseball, being part of a team, it's something that I just absolutely crave and love. I think you know one of our core values is we're stronger together, and I, we truly do believe that the sum of all parts really always equals more. Um, I went to Berkeley up in the Bay Area. Um, love, love, love. Went from a very small private school to my first class at Berkeley had more students than my entire high school, um, which was crazy. It was a real shock to the system. But after finding my my groove, I, I went into investment banking and, and really loved high finance. But didn't really like the the industry per se and in and basically took a lot of the you know 4 a.m.s to 10 p.m. like days and in that sort of grew a little bit of thicker skin which i think is healthy for any young uh aspiring worker you got to learn to work like work is not f-u-n work is work it, it is something that you have to learn discipline around and personal accountability and my early years were really about that was like training me to be uh, willing to risk a little bit, right? Which I think is healthy. You need a little bit of risk in your life. Um, I learned to appreciate a little bit of luck. There, there's some lessons that, that I learned along the way. And then three, to become meticulously focused on whatever your, your goals are. Um, and, 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 and meticulously focused could be even ruthless focus, right? Like once you sort of set yourself out, there's only one answer. It's either success or, 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 or failure. That's, that's sort of what I was learned and taught, um, in, in, in my early years. And, and I grew to appreciate a lot, but what really stood out in all of my early days was bosses the bosses, which were the best and the bosses, which were the worst. And that shaped how we built cloud beds, the lessons that we, we, we don't employ um, purely based on our own personal experiences. And we, we set out to build an a, a, a ecosystem of humans all around the world, um, which was fully remote from day one. That was a business strategy. But ultimately, our number one responsibility was to create environments for others to be successful in. And, and that was it. It was a simple formula. We create a place that people can 
strive and, and thrive all, all around. They're going to create great products for our customers. Our customers are going to thrive as a result of that. And the business would take care of itself. Um, and that simple formula was something we just learned from people who we worked for who didn't get that and, and treated us like shit early on in our careers. I love it. I love it. So 10 years ago, you guys started. Is that about right? That's right. Yeah. And 10 years ago, you so you guys were remote when remote wasn't cool. When it was, That's when it right. Wasn't we, like, we, very popular at all. We were the early days. I'll never forget my earliest investors say, hey, you need to all move here and put everyone in the same office. You can't do what you do. And so now they, they obviously don't bring that up anymore because we've proven that we know how to do it. But it was, uh, yeah, it was a debate. It was definitely an early debate uh, amongst outsiders. It was hard for them to grasp. Um, COVID was a, a shock to the world and a, a, a chuckle uh, inside this organization since we were already fully remote and outside of uh, our industry being shut down. It was just business as usual for us. Yeah, I know. And, and then, you know, what I, the argument I hear, and actually I give also, I believe that, you know, for us, remote's been good in a lot of ways. We, but, you know, a lot of our jobs we can't do remote because we're construction services and stuff. But we do have a lot of jobs, technology and finance, things like that, that, are, that, that can be remote. We do take advantage of that. Well, the I would argue is, you know, how do you, I, I don't understand, I, and the way reason I argue, I don't understand probably, is, you know, how do you, how do you um, really nourish the uh, kind of the emotional, uh, social relationships that you gain as people become better friends face to face, maybe than they would otherwise. That that's the only thing that that, that I I question. I, we're trying, we're working with that right now, trying to figure some options out. But let me let me yeah, I so, create that, that yeah culture. So it's a really it's a really interesting thing, and I and I feel like if I could bottle it up, I would I could retire tomorrow um, because it it is one of those. Remote is not about geography, okay? Remote is about trading in what I believe are three buckets and creating equality around those three buckets. And those three buckets are this, work-life balance, so work and then life, and then ultimately sleep equity. You need sleep to, to ultimately recharge the batteries, and then you can live your life, and then you need to work for a livelihood. There's an equity exchange with all of them. I can sleep less and work more. I can sleep less and live more. And I can trade across those three buckets in, in, in whatever I see fit. And the same thing goes for my exchange with a company. I'm trading my personal hours for a compensation. And in return, I can have and take that away my time from a company at any point in time if I don't want to work at a company anymore. And the company can do the same thing if I'm not performing. For us, remote was never about hiring people in different parts of the world. It was about finding the best talent that associated with our purpose. And then from them, giving them flexibility and accountability to live their life equally to the results that we needed from them at this organization to be successful. And so that balancing act, giving them the freedom to reprioritize life and sleep and, and work in the way that they saw fit while holding them personally accountable to unit economics or KPIs or whatever we track on behalf of that role enabled us to say, hey, you don't have to drive into an office for an hour every day. You can save that hour and go spend it with your kids or go see your your grandparents or, or go for a walk or run or whatever that you need to fill that other bucket, which is life. And when we really defined that and we surrounded that with core values that mattered, we started bringing more and more people together who also shared and welcomed and celebrated that. And then in return, they over-indexed on communication to build those bonds because they knew and appreciated what flexibility we were giving back to them. And so our whole, corp our whole corporate culture became a virtual community. And I, and, I, and I can't explain it until you see it, but there are people I've never met at CloudBets. But I know if I met them and saw them in person in 3D, it would be like I saw an old friend. And I'm yet I've never met them because there's so much over index on how we communicate, given that flexibility and that trust system that we've built as a community. It works. It works so well. It's scary. Yeah, I guess that you know, striving those results that people are afraid of. And the those KPIs that you use, can you drive those things with success? And 
and the answer is, of course, you can. It's just you know how you do it, and 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 how good are you at doing it, right? Yep. It, it means really that you over communicate. So at the end of the day, I over communicate as a leader. Our leadership team tries to over communicate. We we know that when you're over 41 different countries worth worth of people, we we even take gr- global remote life to a nth degree, having many different cultures, many different languages, many different time zones. So we have to over-index on making sure when I say Apple, I mean Apple the company, not Apple the fruit, right? I have to give context in everything that I say. I have to over-index on that. Because there's a there's a, a really famous quote by the woman um, named Anise Whitnin who talks about context isn't about what we know or what is said. It's about who we are. And so like, as we think about our upbringings, our life, our culture, our community, all those things are actually impacting what we hear from someone else's spoken words. And so I do this exercise with, with, with founders that I mentioned. It's like, if I say Apple to you, one of you might say the company, one of you might say the fruit, someone might say Red, someone might say Steve Jobs. It's whatever they're associated in their past will bring out that answer. And so as leaders, we have to over-index on communication. And that might mean through different mediums. It might mean just repeatedly coming back to this is our purpose, this is our purpose, so that no one ever forgets that. Because at the end of the day, I know that what I tell my senior leaders and what they tell their direct reports and so on and so on, about 50% of my message is going to get diluted each step of the way down. And, and that's a big problem, especially when you're remote. So you have to over-index on it. But I honestly would say that that same issue is whether you're hybrid, remote, or in office, you still need to over-communicate as a leader. I like it. And I agree, and I agree with you. You know, I think about messages that you diluted, right, from myself or our CEOs to, to our teammates. And definitely is, a, is an issue that we, we have always are, are dealing with. Uh, what are, your, what are your core values? I mean, uh, you know, and I, I guess you know, excited about hearing your core values because they probably differ a little bit from a face-to-face company compared to uh, remote. Yeah, kind of, I guess. I mean, maybe. Like, I, I don't think they're really that much different from the perspective of like what what to me, grit, Kaizen, discovery, stronger together, welcoming, presence, mop bucket, and positive intent. I think I got those right. So hold on. Grit, Kaizen, Discovery, Stroke. What's, what's the second one? Slow down. What's the second one? So grit would be just work hard, right? Ka- Kaizen is the Japanese business philosophy of 1% improvements every day. All right. How do you spell that? Uh, K-A-I-Z-E-N. Kaizen. I like that. Yeah. Okay. So, so small strategic improvements, the sum of all those improvements should be dramatic change year over year as, as a company. Um, d- discovery, it's be committed to curiosity, right? We're a team of all across the world. We should be discovering this world. We're a travel company. Um, stronger together, we just truly believe that together we can move mountains, that whole concept of the sum of all parts. Um, because we're in 41 different countries, we welcome diversity and inclusion. It's something that we just absolutely have to surround ourselves. We have rules around people parity and treating people fairly because cultural differences could mean different things. And so that communication uh, is critical. Presence is one of my favorite core values. Presence is not just being heard, but it's standing out. It's being there for others. It's just showing that you as a human are not just one but you are part of a ecosystem. And to do that, you need to have presence. Um, mop bucket attitude is this whole proverbial concept of you pick up that mop and you get whatever is necessarily to be done and it shouldn't be beneath you. I'm happy to pick up that mop bucket any day of the week and so should everyone else. And then lastly, this world is effed up. I was going to say the bad word, but I'm, I'm going to say this world's effed up a little bit, right? A little bit of positive intent can go a long way. And so not reading into all caps or a, a Slack message that seems like it's leaving something to be uncovered, assume it was meant in positive intent that this was a message designed to provide positive feedback or ways that we can improve and just taking everything from the pro- positive light because I think the world we, we live in needs that. 
I like it. I like it. I, you know, I think uh, a couple of things I've, that, that come out to me that would be more, would be great for a, you know, virtual environment, you know, positive intent, because as you said, so often things get taken in a negative way that, that shouldn't be, right? Yep. Assume, assume positive intent, I think is a great one. Presence also, right? I mean, if you're, if you're virtual like you are, you know, I think in some cases when we do the Zoom meetings, uh, I was on a bunch of today already, right? I, I, I can feel that, that I, 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 whether right or wrong, feel like a couple of people really were present there, right? Yeah. And, and, and again, show your, your, your presence, right? So I think, I think those two are, those two are, are awesome for, for the, for the, you know, for the structure of business you have. I love it. I think it makes, you know, makes sense. Eight, eight's a lot. Do you, you know, usually four or five, uh, I, I think about are, are easy for everybody to understand and all that, or easy for everybody to remember. Do you, have, do you expect your team to remember them all, or if you, you know, when you when you talk to somebody from across the globe that's an employee of yours, do you expect them to know your your values well? We do. We train on. We have a what's called Passport to Success at CloudBeds. It's our three week onboarding experience, so we train it early and often. Um, today's all hands where the whole company was present on Zoom, um, and all departments gave updates. I highlighted positive intent and highlighted we're stronger together as two core values. So we're, we're indoctrinating that in repetitive messaging in our all hands and our town halls. Um, Rich and I, my co-founder and I do founder welcome calls with all of the new classes of hires. We do that early um, in their, in their journey. And we remind them about those core values again. So like these are little touch points that we have, put into our experience, that community that I talked about to reinforce this. But even in our, in our recruiting effort, we are judging individuals against these core values, how they associate. We ask them questions around their lifestyle because we want to bring life like-minded individuals who live their personal lives in a similar way to what we believe are core values and how they stand out. I like it. I like it. I like the, uh, Passport to success. That's a great idea. And I think that, you know, we, we all may have our own version of, we yeah. call some of our, our business to do a boot camp, right? To get to know who the, who the business is and the leaders are and, and, the, and the, uh, the, the the core values on it. But I like this, the, the terminology passport to success. That's cool. Um, and then also to do the, to do those funder welcome calls. That's a great idea. You know, the, the founder welcome call, I should say. Yeah. Um, to those founders to be present present to those those new those new teammates right how cool is that they can ask you any questions you can you know, kind of tell them what's in your head and why why you do what you do it they can then hopefully chime in and be present to to so you get to know them a little bit that's a great great way to go yeah like, Gary, you know you know what's amazing about those calls is not only is it representative of who we are meaning i'll go down a list and i'll ask them to introduce themselves what role they are where they are in the world favorite travel destination maybe a cuisine that they're really digging these days and what happens is we start bouncing around the world to some of our hiring centers eastern european latin america asia us canada and what quickly happens in 30 minutes just through introductions is you see the worldliness of what cloudbed is and so then wow. we reinforce that welcoming and discovery concept. And then at the end, they ask us anything and everything. And some of them are great questions. Some of them are things we've heard a million times. And then you get the unique ones out that spark more discovery in that conversation. And Rich and I always end with, hey, it's an open office environment. You want to reach us, come find us on Slack. And you'd be shocked. The ones who have the most presence are the ones who are going to reach out to us and thank us or ask us questions ongoing. And so it's just a really good calibration um, opportunity for us. Well, I got to believe, Adam, that you're, you're, you know, the, way, the rate you're growing, you have to, just like us, we have to continually really harvest leaders, leader, leadership-minded people that want to grow, right? And if you're not present, if you're not available and accessible, you're not going to know who those, those people are. They're not going to be able to get old. I mean, you're, the, the extreme leaders will find you, right? But you're going to have a lot of people that are, you know, kind of quiet leaders that that could, you know, come to the forefront that you'll identify much better if you have that those open lines of communication, right? And, and you're and you're really um, promoting that. So I think that's really cool. I love it. And well, and for for your growth, if you don't find leaders, you're not getting there, man. Uh, you know, it, it's it's the problem that every scaling company has, right? So we've we've doubled the company four times. 
right, in the last five years. So if, if you think about the scale and the number of new people, we have more new people than ambassadors or, or those with tenure at CloudBeds. So like we're indoctrinating a whole new set of folks, but then we're also leveraging a lot of our individual contributors who might have been the best at their role. And we're bumping up into a managerial role. We have 85% of our managers right now are first-time managers, okay? So it's wow. my responsibility because of that scale to give them tons and tons and tons of educational material to up-level them faster. I can't wait for them to learn to crawl and then walk and then run. I need them running. And so where where we've realized that we see churn, it's typically I have a bad boss, right? Meaning like that interaction with their boss. I'm not saying CloudBeds has this, but like you interact with the boss in a poor way and you're like, I don't want to deal with this. Or you don't believe in the purpose of the business. We've got sure. great purpose. We've got great growth. And so perfecting the manager to peer uh, relationship is something that we're over-indexing. So we actually implemented this year a code of conduct for our leaders. It is our standard for how you are a leader, how you represent CloudBeds as a leader, whether you have one person that reports to you or 10, but everyone is going through that same code of conduct. Now, we're going to complement that with what it means to be a code of conduct from everyone else. And so they're going to balance one another out, create mutual respect from one another. Upward feedback should be welcome and received. Downward feedback should be welcome, received. CloudBeds has founder feedback loops that only come to Rich and I. And we use that to sort of navigate things that are, are, are around. I had anonymous tip come to me. It's all anonymous, by the way. Um, that said, we have a lot of unproductive meetings in this organization. So I said, cool. So I surveyed our leadership team and then I surveyed our individual contributors. And yeah, we have a lot of unproductive meetings according to the the, the, the statistical relevant sample that I took. And, and so now I'm not going to go as far to say, hey, let's have a meetingless Wednesday or meetingless Monday. But what we are going to say is, hey, managers, let's rethink meetings at this company let's departments can choose whether they want to have a day without a meeting marketing doesn't have meetings on friday they use it for thought leadership and learning and and so we're going to give it to the department heads to implement what works best for their departments but i want people to realize that we are part we are owning at the top kaizen we want to create those one percent move moments every single day so that this organization can keep being better I heard this awesome, awesome piece of advice from, from two different folks, but very similar. One is you have to re-engage your people more frequently. Basically, you have to re-recruit them. So what used to be like every year, someone would hit an anniversary, you'd re-recruit them. You'd get them excited about their next year. You're now doing that every quarter. People are so fickle in their careers right now, and they're so willing to leave because remote work became the standard. They didn't have to go to the office anymore. It's flexing where people can go and work. And so the re-recruitment yeah. re is something that we have to think about faster than ever. But I also look at that as a negative. The fact that there's so much flexibility, you have to reevaluate your own senior leaders more frequently too. And yeah. because you have this opportunity to up-level members of your team. And so uh, a, a very, very famous CEO said this, um, I'm going to, I'm going to, remain him anonymous, but he's a $45 billion market cap company, publicly traded, one of the fastest growing SaaS companies. He mentioned that when you look at your team and you have history with a team member, so if Gary, if you've worked for me for a year and I know everything that Gary has brought to the table for a year, and I go and reevaluate whether Gary is the right fit for that same role, I have to use his history with him in my reevaluation. And I have to look at that and say, would I hire Gary knowing what I know today again for that exact same role? And you need to be doing that every six months. And that was a, like a mind blowing moment for me was like, it wasn't every couple of years. It was every six months that you're reevaluating your own senior leaders because it's not me who is, you know, rolling onto the, the, the beaches of Normandy. Right. I'm, I'm on some ship protected. Right. It was a different level of, of, of lieutenant or a corporal who was taking a group of those who are in the trenches and they were the ones storming that beach. 
they were the ones watching that 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 piece of metal hit the hit the shore and then they were running and executing a plan and so my leadership isn't in the trenches i have to lead from 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 a higher elevation even though i want to be in the trenches i want to be there but that's not my role and so i got scolded from my executive coach recently he's like adam you have 770 employees that's growing year over year and it's not going to slow down your expectations for for what revenue scale needs to grow is getting harder and more challenging. So if you're in a if you're in a meeting that's less than worth a million dollars to this organization, get yourself out of it immediately. And I was like, oh my God, I love being in the trenches. But it was something that I really appreciated. I appreciated that comment because that's not my job anymore. I'm not here to paint the wall or grab the mop bucket. It is to inspire 800 people to want to do all those other things. Yeah, I mean, I, and I, I think that's a, that's something that all leaders go through, right? I mean, if you're a good leader, you love people, and you, you respect people, right? You want to grab the mop bucket, right? It's just who you are if you're a good leader. Uh, but the challenge behind that is, or challenge, challenge of that is, you get to a certain point, you don't, you can't grab that mop bucket. But that doesn't mean you you don't you you can't help in every way you can to, to create more value in those people, in their jobs, and in this business because that's what you you have to do. But in scaling the business. People have to know that you're the type of guy that if you could, you wouldn't grab the mop bucket. Yeah. If you're right in front of them, you would. But boy, you know what? It, it, and so again, I, it's it's a it's a it's a mentality that we're small. We actually are doing it. Um, and, and people know that when you're big, you're the type of person that would do it also, right? So it's a it's a it's a complicated thing because as you scale, you do have to take jobs off the table that aren't worth a million dollars or whatever, ten thousand dollars or whatever that whatever that number is that you you think is is correct for your leadership. So well, that's funny. It, it's also funny because I don't have all the best ideas, right? Jeff Bezos likes to tell the story of when they were dealing with shipping their product early, early on. They were all on their hands and knees packaging early books and shipping it away. And he had this idea. He's like, I'll be right back, guys. And, and he's like, I'm going to go buy knee pads for everyone so our knees don't get screwed up. And, and someone's like, why don't you just buy fucking tables? Like, just put them on tables. Why are we on our hands and knees? So, like, for him, he was killing his knees, so knee pads was a solution, but someone else was like, who's this stand up and do it on the table? That seems yeah. way more practical. So, like, exactly. the best ideas don't always come from the top, that's for sure. And so, like, you got to take a step back and listen, right? 100%. 100%. Okay, so... Um, you know, we, we have a leadership uh, retreat coming up, and, and with that, you know, of course, we're going over a lot of things you and I just talked about. And uh, when we, we what, what is what is a message to leaders when it comes to mentoring and duplicating leadership? Like, I mean, you have, you know, I'm sure you have great a great number of leaders in your company that that you believe will continue to lead in the future of your business, right? Um, what's your message to those leaders when it comes to not being afraid or, or intimidated by a smart person around them that could be a leader for the future for you, right? Because I think that's something that, you know, many people don't understand that there are leadership positions and yet they're afraid sometimes to hire or promote that person that might be better than them, right? Yeah. And, and, and therefore, what's the value to them in the future, right? If they're promoting that person. So how do you look at that when you talk to your leaders about about mentoring and, mm -hmm. and harvesting or growing, right? great leaders around that so uh, i think this this comes with some of the dna that's in our community that 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 stronger together mentality really is i i have never seen egos get in the way of making promotions at cloudbeds yet today um i definitely have seen feedback come through and leaders get a little bit of bruising from from some of that critique and have to take a step back and reflect. But for the most part, we really have a group of humans that look out for other humans. And in a one-on-one -on -one environment, they're asking, Gary, how's your head? How's your heart today? Because if it's not in a good place, I don't want to have this one-on-one. -on -one, and I'd rather you go back, take the day off, do the thing. And so we are very quick to have a, a good EQ in the balancing act of 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 that sort of work-life balance and creating mental health so that people are on it when they're at Cloudbeds, they're present, and then they're not. Um, I, I learned this the hard way, and, and maybe this will help answer. I love giving autonomy. I think autonomy is the greatest gift you can give a, a leader um, who works for you. It, it's a signal of trust. It's a signal of capability. Um, and, and it also 
signals that you can give you they can take risk with that autonomy i lost one of my early leaders because we gave them too much autonomy and and not enough feedback not enough you're you're doing great keep it up and this individual worked for us for three years and then put his resignation in and, and walked out the door and and he's like i just don't feel appreciated i don't i don't i never get to talk to you guys anymore as 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 our senior leaders i I, I don't I don't feel appreciated. And I was like, you realize we gave you the greatest compliment we possibly can, which is autonomy. You're doing so well. We're just leaving you alone. We we don't have any feedback for you. And and it was such a shock uh, on the other end of that lens. And so I think the key there and the lesson was being a leader is lonely. And, and you don't necessarily get all of the various buckets full of feedback loops that you want. And when you do ask for it, you get it, you get more than you probably asked for. Uh, but, but having two way feedback loops with your leaders and their direct reports is so important. We all can get better as leaders. We all can grow. It's never, there's no, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. We just, just keep hitting a new milestone and keep going a little bit further. And, and, and I'll never forget that. I, I, I thought autonomy was the greatest compliment and he just needed a little bit of love along the way and we wouldn't have lost that. Now, that individual is now back at this organization, so he boomeranged back and and, 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 and we, we obviously have taken a different tone, but you know, for me, it, it's, a, it's a mandatory one-on-ones with every one of your, your direct reports. I don't think leaders do that frequently enough. And, and you can really break down your life into sort of so many hours a week are dedicated to just being a leader and the rest of it is free, free time and thought. I love, I love it. You know, give me a time actually, for sure. If you're going to scale a business, you have to do it, but boy, we make that mistake over and over again. And, and, and we, we have a great, we have a great leader and you know, it's just the type of person you're like, ah, you know, that person's so awesome. They're such a leader. They don't need to be told, right? They're great. But actually, they do. Whether they say they do, or they act like they do, or they they leave you in the long run because they do. Either even if they don't, right? You need to give that positive feedback. It makes their day. Make you know, it makes my day when anybody, I don't care any, anybody on my team, anybody in my life, get, you know, gives me affirmation. Right? That's a good thing. And yep. so, why aren't we doing enough with leaders? I believe I believe we don't. I believe my own organization and almost all of us. Once we have a great leader. You know, you just say, you'll say it behind their back. Is that guy great? Is that girl great? Yeah. But you don't do it to their face. Like it's it, so, it, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to make someone's day. And, and that's also why positive intent is clicked in. It's not just, you know, providing feedback and taking it in a positive light. It's just being nice. Like we just up level, just up level the way we interact with one another. No doubt about it. Now, how much, uh, how much ownership do your leaders have in, in the, uh, you know, the bottom line, whether it be enterprise growth, enterprise value growth of your business or profit growth or, you know, business, business growth. Well, how do you look at um, ownership, financial ownership that a leader must take in your organization and what tools do you give them to kind of understand that? Yeah. So we're, we're ruthlessly focused on metric. Um, it's something that we, we really have done an unbelievable job at up leveling just the way we look at KPI. We have sort of like five buckets of things that all TMT, which is our top management team, um, track against and ultimately all directors and, and they're, they're down, is revenue. So our growth engine and, and our growth title. Um, we look at OPEX, so what we spend to hit that growth engine. How much cash we on the balance sheet. We are a, a, a private company that is funded for, we're not a bootstrap company. We have been funded by growth equity and venture capital. So we, we, we need to maintain our lifeline and, and keep that as big as possible. So all three of those are ownership mentality, right? We have wait, wait, you got revenue, you got OPEX, what else? And then we have cash. So all three of those work together, right? The more revenue you get, the more, and the more flexibility to spend on OPEX. If you keep OPEX fixed, that means you have more cash to, to reinvest. And so we, we treat those three as something that are all tied together. The next one is retention. So that would be the fourth API, and that is us creating product and wow moments for our customers so that they stick around. And then lastly, to ensure retention, we need reliability. 
Uh, and reliability means we need our products, which are serving the lifelines of these customers all around the world. It needs to stay online all the time, and, and it can't go offline. We just introduced a sixth metric, and that's people, the health of our organization, because we are we are no one without our people. And so, but from an ownership mentality, those other five are absolutely a, a, a necessity, but we use people as the understood underlining fabric and foundation, but now we're bringing that into the conversation and making it one of our metrics as well. Okay, so how do, how do you measure a couple of things? You know, OPEX, revenue, cash, I you know, understand we, how to measure that. Retention, you know, easily measure that. When you look at, you know, uh, wild moments for customers, let me, let me hear how you measure that. So retention, so we obviously look at retention as a, as two levels, gross churn, and then net dollar retention. So how much expansion we can see. Does a customer start with a dollar and then spend more than a dollar at the end of the year? Um, mm -hmm. So we look at those as, as two very, very close correlated figures. Sure. We then, we then think about CSAT, um, net promoter score. So CSAT is going to be the satisfaction of our service line. And then net promoter is going to be the satisfaction of our product and its fit. So you take all of those in concert, you get a really good retention guide engage sure. that you can yeah. track. And then you can make decisions on. Reliability is as simple as if we're going to be up 99.99% and that is our SLA standard, then we better be up 99.99 and there's no excuses. And so we build all of our process around that. But that also means you can slow down what product gets released by being overly reliant on reliability. And so there's a balancing act. You got to take a little bit of risk here too. Yeah. So we are going through scaling. We're doing a lot of really fun improvements to the infrastructure that our customers really never see. And yet we're spending millions of dollars in our ecosystem trying to make sure that our systems never go down. We're going from you know, uh, uh, this really, really powerful ecosystem, the pod environments, like pod environments is like the holy grail of infrastructure where you have groupings of customers, uh, leveraging microservices and le leveraging their own sort of cluster of databases. It is so complicated. It's so complicated and technical. Um, I just give up because that's not my skill set. I let the, let the pros do it, but we are we are very 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 intensive application. We have lots and lots of third party connections. We have lots and lots of different APIs doing different data feeds, and all of it is real time. Like if you're you have inventory, i.e., a hotel, and a human is traveling to your location, you can't double book that room. That is not a good experience for a guest. So real real time inventory being sold all over the world on different points of sales like a booking.com or an Airbnb or a Google or wherever, you got to keep those things in constant sync. And that is leveraging some really, really cool tech to do so. And then throw redundancy and reliability, it, geez Louise, it, it, it gets complicated yeah. very quickly. So, so measuring people, is that is that your you know, your your teammates you're measuring when you say people or yeah. So we do we 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 look to one on ones as our constant pulse. To give feedback one-on-ones every week or every two weeks depending on the department is really about just how are people performing um, obviously an individual customer service person is doing tickets what is the satisfaction score on those tickets there's there's individual accountability metrics that all the departments how much code you write in engineering how many bug free code that you write in engineering um, we use this really cool software in, in sales which is called ambition and because you have different roles in sales, you might have a longer sales cycle sales rep. You might have a shorter sales cycle. You might have an SDR, an account executive, a, a, a manager. They all have different responsibilities. But Ambition allows us to take all of them and treat them equally, even though they're different, to give a score for each one of those various roles. And so we can treat them equally. And then we can create sort of improvement plans that are much more universal. And, and so the way I think about people is, look, people should show up. They should be engaged. That population should be more engaged or less engaged. You should get lots and lots of feedback, whether it's anonymous or, 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 or not. 
but that feedback should be a sign of people wanting to improve your organization. If you're not getting ideas to improve your organization, you do not have ambassadors or engagement. You want negative. You need to hear negative. You need to hear opportunities to improve because that shows a population that cares. I like it. That's awesome. Yeah, you know what? Uh, too often, you know, as leaders, I think we get caught up, you know, trying to get our message across and, and, and talk too much. When if we listen, um, we'll still get our message across and, and, and listening to that feedback and responding to it, right? Um, so tell, tell me, that we, we uh, a couple more things I want to get, get out of here. You're an amazing guy. I mean, this is a, little, a lot of fun talking to you because you're, you're wealth of information for any any business leader of any type, technology or not. And and what what uh, you know when, I, when you look at your business today, Adam, and, and you know kind of where you're at, where you where you started, where you're at, where you're going, um, you know, tell tell me about you know your your main customers today, what they look like, sure. um, and where you think your your customers will what what they'll look like five and ten years from now. So our main customers are independent hoteliers all around the world. Um, what I believe that customer looks like is more independent customers, but also groups of hotels that are under the same ownership or slightly larger examples of independent hotels. So we are the product market leader for small independent operations um, globally. We, we, are, we are by far the standard. Um, everyone emulates us and, and just copies us, to be honest with you. It's, it's the best form of flattery possible, right? So uh, I love that position, but that also means I have to defend it. And we never have ever felt more pressure to work harder to distance ourselves even further from a lot of these copycats. That being said, we also see this weird, fun, weird dynamic, which we call the Sam sandwich. So Sam, and what I mean by Sam is our serviceable addressable market. Tam is your total addressable market. So serviceable means I have a solution that can service that opportunity today. TAM is where you can expand from serviceable to the whole market. So think about where what I said is we're right here with these smaller independents. We do that great. But there are larger independents that we're starting to do really well too. And then there's groups of, and then we have, we have groups of hotels that are a little bit more complicated that have a little bit more involved and they too are coming to us. But that's a whole different competitor, competitor set in the market. And so what's happening is we have smaller teams and competitors that are trying to do more like us. And then we have bigger competitors that are also trying to come downstream and they're trying to sandwich us into this little tiny sliver of the opportunity. And so I'm saying, no, never going to happen. And, and we're fighting a two-faced war, both in, 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 our, in our category and then for where we want to go in, in the year. And that's that to me is the most fun thing possible. I love rolling up my sleeve when it comes to go to market. And I think we over index on our approach a little bit and we've learned a lot of lessons, but go to market is, is probably the most fun you can do, um, in, in business, uh, according, at least for me, because I just think it's all about people. Like I love humans, even though I'm super introverted, I hate what we're doing right now. I I'm so shy as a human. I've been forced to learn to talk. Uh, uh, on camera, knowing that a lot of people will listen to this, but I love, love, love just how you talk about, even in your questioning, like you clearly love doing what you do. And, and so that's the same thing. When we talk to our hotels, I love that these people roll up their sleeves in a 24 seven environment, 365 days a year. And they have a guest who doesn't leave their property. They spend the night. Like that is a, unbelievable commitment for satisfaction and guest servicing like that is i couldn't do it i couldn't do it i literally couldn't do it but i am happy to provide the software um because i love this industry so much so tell, tell us tell my tell our listeners about your software would provide so you know just briefly with ryan's and, and where your dif biggest differentiators may lie yeah so yeah ab absolutely so super simple uh hoteliers people come and go right guests come and go they check in they check out they pay they give you feedback they need things oh i need a i want some room service whatever all of that stuff happens in what's called a system uh, a record or pms property management system but to find that guest you need to have tools that connect to all the various channels around the world that ultimately find consumers a booking.com or expedia or hotels.com or airbnb those are those are points of sales 
And so we do both sides of that. We help them find guests and then we help give them tools to operate operationally run their business more effectively. And that combined is the di differentiation, Gary. We are the only platform that does the entire flywheel of what these hoteliers need. So we sometimes get called like an SMB ERP, like, and, and that's an interesting way of sort of taking a bunch of different solutions that a business needs to run. I look at it as we took all the tools that these hosts and hoteliers all over the world need, put them in a box, put it across the table and said, we do it easier, we do it faster, and we do it for cheaper than anyone else in the world. And as a result, you get a, you get a partner when you, you come over to CloudBest. Easier, faster, cheaper. That's uh that's a, that's that's a great way to to be successful and in our businesses we try to do the same things and not easy to do all of those um okay so uh, again so we think about now if we're at today where you want to be in let's say five years from now i mean you guys are growing fast what yeah. what uh are there any new are there any new markets that you'll be involved in you know we're already in 157 countries and i think there's 203 countries in the world 13 of which we can't work with so the the reality is we're pretty good in terms of markets, but there's some great examples of big markets that we have not introduced our product to. We have a few sales, but we don't have a presence. So like France, Australia, parts of Asia, those are just examples where we do get the occasional sale, but we've never really made an example. So all we're doing is reviewing. We're looking at different markets. We're We're thinking about what markets work best for us. We are truly global which has been a blast and a challenge at the same time. And so honestly, it's less about where we're going from a market. It's more about what we're going to do from a product perspective. And we've got really bold plans there. Um, you know, I constantly get asked, will we go public soon? Sure. Like we'll go when, when the time is right. We're in no rush. We have great investors who are, are in no rush. Our team is healthy, happy, and, and, and hungry. So, I, I don't show up to work anymore. I show up to be part of a transformational business and, and I love our purpose. I love the team and, and, and to me, this is fun. So, you know, hopefully, I, I think if you go past maybe five years, but maybe into the distance, I, I hope this, this company outlives me. I, I really do hope Rich and I can hand the reins on to someone else or someone else's and and they take it to the next level or the next chapter and and i'm i'm i can't wait to be part of that story in a small part or a big part we'll see awesome hey well, tell me uh what what's uh what's the smallest customers you guys dealing with uh, let's say I'm, I'm thinking about uh i've got a golf club that uh, private golf club that we're gonna we're gonna uh build really a, a national membership and a regional national membership and we're gonna do you know, like 40 to 50 um, uh, basically, um, these villas, right? 40, 50, 40, 50 bets, right? Where yep. people from all over the country, so it's a world-class golf club. We want people from all over the country, the world to come and play it more. And we have to have, we have to have stay and play right now. We only got have a couple, room for a couple of foursomes, right? Not enough. Uh, so when you, when you think about that, you know, what, what do you do to, to, to get that out front of the world to say, Hey, we're here, we get a world-class golf club and great rooms, right? What would you, what would you do? I. It already sounds like you got the story, right? Then you need to take those rooms and ultimately build them if they're not built yet. If they're built, then you need to cast them out there. And and the beautiful thing is, you know, right now the world is all about experiences, right? And, and if the experience of not only playing golf on a world-class course, but being part of a membership or, or the environment or whatever, that is what humans want. Um, they've never wanted that more. And it's not about the accommodation. It's about everything else that surrounds it. Yeah. So a, a tool like CloudBeds would easily manage the the day-to-day -day of the check-ins, the checkouts, helping you connect to sources like Booking.com and others that would potentially fill up those beds. We can do that with our eyes closed. But then we also have tools like Amplify, which are looking at search trends in the internet, helping place ads around things. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I really never, you know, in, your, in your reading your story, I never thought of you as potential partner of this little deal, right? I mean, I've also got also got uh, partners in another group of golf courses that uh, the, the best golf course developer in the world is is the is my partner. And he owns Bandon Dunes, if you ever golf at all. He owns Bandon Dunes, Sand Valley. He owns uh, over 10, 11 of the, of the top 100 golf courses in the world. He has wow. developed. This is the guy's the Michael Jordan of golf course. Okay, but here's my our story on golf course is it's one of the best in the country. It's a it's a 
30th most challenging championship golf course in the country. Um, and it's, and it's very fair actually, but it's just a beautiful place. I've got uh, my buddy, Bo Jackson, who's my partner on this thing now. And, and with his story, you know, he's a picky guy. Okay. He's very competitive, very picky guy. Even though I'm his buddy, he would never play this golf course. if It wasn't one of the best golf courses he could play. Right. And so him and I are going to, are going to, are going to, are going to build the stories of the bull Valley of the golf course. And then he's going to be one of the partners. Him and I are going to be the partners together that invite 50 members, 50 members from across the country to be members, and then we're done. And and it's going to be a really exclusive, fun deal. But then on top of that, we're going to have stay and play um, at at, uh, at the at the at the course too, on top of the private membership. That's going to be a lot of fun. So anyway, be pretty exclusive, pretty cool. But you know, it's telling the story as you just said, and and getting the word out is tough. But with Bo Jackson as a partner, I think the word spreads pretty fast. I think so too. And then just having a having the software that makes it easy to collect those reservations, fill up those beds. I think the rest takes care of itself. Yeah. So, so all right, good. I want to, I want to dig into this stuff where I think we have your cell phone number too. So I might bother you enough, you know, a little ways down the road. So you're okay. With it, okay. Yeah, totally fine. That's awesome. Chris, I'd like you to, uh, if you had a question or two to answer, ask, uh, uh, gosh, you know, this, this is, uh, one of the best podcasts you've ever had. I think with, with a wealth of information from Adam that you're not going to get everywhere. But a uh, couple of questions, and then let's go into what we've learned. Yeah, definitely. Um, Adam, uh, re- really enjoying your, uh, everything you share with us, and like had no idea that this makes you remotely uncomfortable. You're seeing wild, wildly um, at ease, and so uh, my my question um, is really about. You, know, you said you're in like 130 something countries. Yeah, 157, yeah. 157. So, you know, a lot of guests we have on here, they're like, yeah, we, you know, we try to expand to other countries. We're running into so many issues, like, across borders, like, so many regulations. Like, you know, we're just tired of it. We just work in, like, North America and, like, Europe. Like, if you've run into those issues, which I imagine have, what what strategies or, or well, tricks have you guys employed to minimize those issues? Yeah, no. I, so we we are we look at it from from this, all of our decisions, and and I'm just going to use this as a tidbit of of approach. But we treat all decisions in two forms: one way doors, two way doors. And I don't know if you've you've heard of that analogy, but one way doors are you're committed, the door closes behind you, and if there's no path in front of you, you're jumping. Right? Two way doors you can recover from. You can go right back through that door if the experiment wasn't a good or wasn't the right outcome that you expected. So when you're moving into another country, that could look like a one-way door or that looked like a two-way door. And it depends on the analysis and the risk. So as we think about all of our behavior and, and especially around go-to-market, go-to-market is a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? Very, very few moments in the world stem from something that is just like a silver bullet where all of a sudden you see this exponential growth and you're like yes we we hit the gold vein like it's it's flowing now that doesn't really happen very often like it would be lovely if it did more more but like it's really more about steady growth there are very very few companies that just grow exponentially and 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 you can name them on your hand that are publicly traded so when i think about that we're incredibly ruthlessly focused on what are the things that we are driving towards so if we're going into a market what does success look like it can't be perfect. There's no such thing as perfect. There can be near perfect, but there is no such thing as perfect. So if I'm going into a market and let's say my goal is I need 500 customers, what would it take you to be successful with 500 customers in a new market? And if it's a product gap, if it's the language support, if it's if it's jurisdictional, like you can really quickly spell that out and you can begin to prioritize whether or not those are low hanging high hanging, mid hanging, the the investment associated to that. So like Liho, Miho, Hiho, so low investment, high output, mid investment, high output, high investment, high output. So you can start to force rank all of the strategy and then you basically write a business plan. Like it's not a, it doesn't need to be 20 pages. It could be two pages. We call them two pagers, but you're just writing down feedback and then you take that feedback and you give it to other members of the team and you let them rip it apart right? You just let them rip it apart. And what will happen is you guys will begin to get to this answer through solutions. 
And it's the solutions that you're really determining on whether or not they're one-way or two-door experiments. And so we try to just simplify it down to those. There's no right right answer. And, and then ultimately, you have lemons, and can you make lemonade out of it or not? Well, awesome. It's um, great. So, you know, I think the, like having a fully remote workforce, um, it sounds like, you know, when you're going into, into a new market, is it always um, important to have folks on the ground? Like, even though they're remote, they're in that market. Like, like do you, every market you're in, do you have someone that lives in that country? Sometimes, not necessarily. It really depends. Um, but I do believe that having a local feel, a look and feel, makes and goes a long way, right? So at one point in our time, our website would adopt who you were from where you were. And if you were a Thai property coming in from Thailand, we used software to geodetect that you were coming in through Thailand. And we would then start showing Thai hotels, Thai photos, Thai photography, things like that. And sort of bring in the cultural reinforcement. Now the prolific prolification of, of, of VPNs and things like that, it's not really accurate that much because I'm, I'm, flying in from Portland right now, even though I'm in San Diego. So my VPN is through Seattle right now. So the point is we always try to feel human, which is because a human is buying our software, a hotel is not buying our software, a human or a team of human is buying our software. We need to connect with them as a persona. And, and that means we need to feel is, is real and as validating to them as possible so that we're a trusted partner. Bless us. Bless Um, so I, I also started, uh, remote work around 2012, uh, quit my office job and was like, I don't know, I'm just going to figure it out. And, uh, just created the business and everyone I hired, uh, stayed in moats. Um, you know, so I've been doing it for around 11 years or so. Um, I still struggle with when I know I'm done with work for the day. I left the office and that's when I'm done. But now I mean, WhatsApp messages, I get emails, I get texts and all, all time. When, when do you know that you're done? So I have two beautiful kids and a beautiful wife and, and I work incredibly hard and get a lot of hard times from my family. So for me, I have to have my own personal accountability and I set very strict hours. So between those hours, I'm on, I'm always on cloud beds and I don't think about anything else outside of those environments from it's for me, it's four 30 in the afternoon is when I stop from seven. So four 30 to seven, I am on kid and or cooking duty at, in my household. I love to cook. It's my, how I come off the day. So I love to, to get behind the, 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 an apron. Um, but then till seven or seven thirty is when the kids are going down. And so I want to be present for them after seven thirty, depending on work schedule or what's going on, I might go back to my desk. I might work a little bit or I'll, 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 I'll spend time with my amazing wife. And so I had to put in routine. It's all about routine. And again, remember I talked about those three buckets, you know, work, life, and, and sleep. I control those. And so where I want to put my priority is really dependent on me. And it's hard. It's hard to, to, to walk away from something that you're impassioned by that's fun. And it's very hard to explain that to someone that doesn't have that same interaction with their own work environment. And so, but you do need to quit. You do need to walk away. And this little device there that that's right here, I try to throw it in another room so it's sight unseen. I take off and I watch so I don't get the notifications. I, I truly do try to separate from this device so that I can refocus on what matters at that well, moment. Awesome. That's a uh, that's, uh, great practice and that not, not enough of us do it as leaders. So, yeah. and again, but then in building reorganization, you have to have those people that step in that are there for, they're for your customers and your teammates you know, in an urgent situation when you can't be, right? Yeah. If you really do that, you didn't build a very good organization. So, um, something that we should all uh, we should all live by. So, so uh, Chris, what are, what are your uh, what are your takeaways there, brother? Well, yeah, man, hey, I got some great ones. Hey, thank you so much for sharing your time with us, Adam. Man, 
uh, meticulously or even ruthlessly focus on your goals. I I, I love that. It's got an under, undertone of uh, nefariousness, but it seems very uh, very all all positive intent. All positive yeah. intent. Yeah. Um, remote work is really about finding the best person for the role, regardless of their location. It, it seems like. Like if we caught up, like oh, then suddenly from the office, like no, now your the entire world can be your your top performing post. Um, over communicating with your team, Kaizen is a one percent improvement every day. It will cause a dramatic cure of your change. Continuously harvest leaders and re-recruit your current team. The best ideas don't always come from the top, so definitely listen to the people. Uh, autonomy is the greatest gift you can give a leader, but always make sure you are sending them direct appreciation. Yeah. Where, where can uh, folks find out more about you and uh, everything you're working on? Ah, oh, I, I don't be strangers. I, I, I love the entrepreneurial journey. My co-founder and I are obsessed. We're actually writing a book right now that talks about the transformational journey that we took to, to, to ultimately build cloud beds. But uh, LinkedIn, email, you know, find me. I'm here. Cloudbeds, you you run a property. We can do it better probably with our software. <laughs> uh, but no, this has been amazing, guys. Thanks so much for 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 having me, and and I appreciate um, yeah. all your time. Yeah, no, thanks so much, buddy. You know what? There's so so many nuggets here. We can't even list them all. But I mean, you're you're uh, the way you build leaders and and the way you think of leadership is is really awesome. It's not like everybody else. Just, there's some cool little things that differentiate you. You know, think about the passport to, to success that you do for your, your your team when they come on board. You know, your your, your accessibility, your 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 followers' welcome calls. I think is really something a great takeaway that I want to take with me. And uh, and and just uh, your you know your code of ethics. You know, the the, the upward downward feedback. I mean, we talked about 360s all the time, but boy, it sure it seems a lot simpler when you just think about continuing confidentially to have that upward to downward feedback that's always there, right? That's always welcome. And if you live your business with values like that, you are going to kick ass, brother. And I, and I can't wait to watch you uh, just dominate this industry. And uh, I'll, uh, I, I want I want to follow you. I want to actually, uh, Bo Jackson and I may give you a call someday to talk about this because we're going to build this this really cool environment. And uh, I need the help of somebody who knows what they're doing because we're we're not going to be us understanding how to fill those rooms and still keep and still keep that private and exclusive atmosphere, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I wish you guys nothing but the best on on your guys' journeys. Thanks again, and and if I ever can be helpful, you guys know how to find me. So you're awesome, brother. Thanks for being here. Until next time, thanks everybody for listening to Ditch Digger CEO and our great guest Adam today. Uh, have an awesome day. If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com, for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo.
Feel, feel.